You are listening to The Sonia Dunn Show. I am your host, Sonia Dunn. Our guest today is marketing executive, Rio Cyrus. Rio's journey has been filled with moving pictures since an early age. Always wanting a career in the movie industry, Rio was not sure if her aspirations were attainable. Her journey begins on the East Coast, and then life and unexpected opportunities lead her to the West Coast. She has worked for some of the most notable major movie studios and production houses in the business. Rio shares her journeys within her career that leads to full circle paths in the media entertainment industry. Today on The Sonya Dunn Show. Did little Rio know she wanted to be in the film industry in marketing? In marketing, no. Younger Rio, little Rio, um, I've always just been a content nerd. You know, I've watched every film from the day I discovered film. My mother took me to the movies when I was younger. We saw everything opening weekend, had to be opening weekend. Um, and, and I was also, also, as I've grown up, just been a real television nerd. And not so much, you know, to sit there sort of as a lean back um you know, experience and just watch a lot of TV. I really was seeking a ton of stories and I love different genres. And so I knew early on, I wanted to be involved somehow in content or somehow in entertainment. So then my question is to you, what is, what was your first movie that you saw in the theaters? Do you happen to remember? I do. The, the one I can remember, it's either Bambi or Star Wars. I think it was Bambi though, because I do remember crying. <laughs> really, really I do remember crying and we saw it more than once. And I think I cried every single time, but yeah, I, I remember Bambi. So then you've always been on special effects, animated effects and all that as far as you've been a junkie for that. Absolutely. The more the merrier. And of course, as I got older, I definitely veered away from certain genres and towards others. But yes, always around any kind of content. So where did Rio grow up? I split my time between Toronto, Canada, and also New York City. So um, having been born in England, when we came to North America, the first stop was New York. And then the last stop was Toronto. So I split my time between the two. Wow, that's that's an interesting journey. So born in England, are you a dual citizenship? I am. I'm dual for uh, U.S. and Canada and actually Britain, because the way that it worked, if you were born in Britain, you know, um, and you're of a certain age, <laughs> you were naturalized Canadian because of the way the Constitution worked with Canada. So I actually have all three. Very good. Very good. So where did you go to school as far as after high school? After high school, after high school, I started college at a small university in Canada called Carleton University. And almost immediately I knew it was too small. And as soon as I had an opportunity to do an exchange, it was supposed to be one year. <laughs> I went to the University of Massachusetts. And because I spent a lot of time in New York having its extended family there, I would go from Amherst, Massachusetts, down to New York pretty often. And I realized I wasn't coming back to Canada. So that was sort of the beginning of the end. It was supposed to be one, sem one semester or one year abroad. And then I was supposed to come back and I just never did. So New York, found your way to New York. Yeah. Did you get your degree in communications, marketing? 
So I got my I got my degree in marketing communications at University of Amherst, University of Massachusetts at Amherst. And then I immediately applied to graduate school in New York because I knew that's where I wanted to be. At the time, I was really, again, talk about just being a movie nerd and a junkie. I was following a lot of the independent uh, companies and Miramax was the first that I followed. So I followed them to New York, got my graduate degree at New York University and, you know, really felt like the film industry was not attainable. I felt like it was out of reach. Um, and it seemed that way because you'd see things on the big screen and you'd see Hollywood or you'd see New York and red carpet and you just think, oh, I could, I could never be a part of that. That's so unattainable. So then why, why did you feel New York was attainable? Well, because I had family there and I love the city, it still remains one of my favorite cities in the world. Um, but again, it was one of those things where there were just a lot of film festivals and a lot of film. And so I started to, you know, just sort of insert myself where I could be. And I don't even think, I don't think I still have it, but 150 years ago when I got out of school, <laughs> I applied to Miramax to, you know, be an assistant or something. And I remember getting a little postcard that said, thank you for your application to Miramax Films. And I was like, oh, there's someone at the other end of this. And that honestly was what made it come home to me a little bit more. I was like, I have this postcard. Somebody saw my resume and somebody, you know, actually took the time to send me a postcard. Of course, this was pre-social media, even pre-email <laughs> back in the Stone Age. But and whatever says you have to work on your penmanship because that letter is important. So <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, you know, New York is where, you know, again, that's where I thought a lot of film was because of my affinity for Miramax and the independent scene. And, and also going to New York University, there was just a lot of activity in New York. And it wasn't until I had the opportunity, uh, you know, during an advertising shoot to come out to Los Angeles that I realized, oh, the Mecca for entertainment is Los Angeles. You know, having come from Toronto and having not grown up in entertainment and of course, you know, there's no streaming at this time. It's right. literally just movies, television, and the theater. And right. so again, it really felt so far away, but that one little postcard brought it home. And then being able to come out to Los Angeles on business and really exploring the town and understanding, okay, this is the economy. This is where it is. So that's when I realized, okay, this is bigger than I thought it was and maybe a little bit more attainable. Like there's gotta be a little tiny space for me somewhere. Come on, I'm sure... I'm sure you said, wow, the beaches are way better on the West Coast than the East Coast. Right? <laughs> it's so funny because back then it was really hip to be from New York and not love LA. So I was definitely on my LA hater tour because um, I was very cool, you know, still wear yeah. black, you know, you only wear black in New York. And it was very much like, you know, I'm not going to Los Angeles to wear pastels or anything like that. <laughs> but my first winter here, where my friends were digging out their cars, you know, from the snow in New York and it was 80 mm -hmm. degrees and I was riding on the beach. I was like, okay, maybe we'll give this another chance. So when did you make the move to LA? Was it with the Miramax or did you say, okay, I'm, I'm taking a leap of faith and I'm just going out there? Wasn't quite a leap, but, um, and I didn't get the job at Miramax, but okay. I still, I held on to the postcard. <laughs> And I ended up going into advertising because I figured, okay, if I can't make major movies, I can make these tiny movies called commercials and I can still be part of the production process, casting, all of that, and still start to learn where my place might be. And it was because of my advertising career, I realized that 
okay, I do love content. I love movies, television, but I love the analytics. I love the marketing. I love the, you know, trying to figure out how to monetize. And again, that wasn't a hip word back then, but, you know, in hindsight, it was really about, oh, how do I make money and how do I help other people make money from their content? So I was in advertising. I'm just kept moving further and further west. So I went from working at an ad agency in New York to an ad agency in Chicago. And then at the time I had the opportunity to send my resume just on a whim to the Walt Disney Company. And I didn't get a postcard, I got a phone call. (laughs) And they said, you know, we'd love to interview you, come on out. And they paid for me to come to LA. I interviewed and you know, just kind of hung out and they gave me a lovely tour of Los Angeles. I got to really see the city and the rest is history. They moved me out once I accepted the job and that began my entertainment career. Wow. So how long were you at Walt Disney? I was there nine years. Nine years, nine years. Um, And then I guess, I guess you got recruited to as far as 20th Century Fox from there? Yeah. So what's interesting is how things come full circle. So while I was at the Walt Disney Company, at the time we were distributing for Miramax. And as soon as I got there, they said, well, looking at your background, you have this film degree, you're from New York, we're going to put you on the Miramax business. So I didn't get the job at Miramax, but I did get to work with the wonderful people there where we distributed a ton of movies, you know, for over nine years. And it was really the golden age of cinema. It was really when Miramax Films was bringing in just a ton of amazing content. We were winning almost every single Oscar, best picture. Um, and it was really just the best place um, at the time. So Disney, let's just backtrack to Disney. What was your first project that you worked on with Disney? It's so funny. The first project I remember, it was a small Woody Allen movie called Celebrity. And, you know, being from New York, I was like, yeah. I'm going to work on every Woody Allen movie. Well, <laughs> only one, <laughs> but it was super fun. And that's when I realized, okay, this is how the industry works. Like, it's not just having fun and red carpets. Like you really have to look to see how we're going to make money. And then I learned the magic word windows and it's like, okay, there's a theatrical window and then there's all these other windows. And so I really started getting my groove when once I realized that there were, other things where I could make the money. Because, you know, when you look at animation, for example, I'm an animation lover, I've worked in animation, but I'm not an illustrator or an artist. And so even being on, you know, independent films or live action films, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm not a producer, I'm not a director. I do have a screenplay in the drawer, but I'm not a screenwriter. I have to find my place because this is where I want to be. And just being in marketing and learning the analytics behind it, how to monetize, how to work with talent, that was actually the best, you know, kind of graduate degree, if you will, at the Walt Disney Company. So, celebrity. Yes. Before you left Disney, what was one, if you can remember one or or, or one of the one films that you worked on before you left Disney? So on the feature side, I went over to work on the Pixar business and that was phenomenal because you want to talk about storytelling. You know, a lot of people talk about storytelling now. And at the time, again, it wasn't a hip word. It was just, okay, we have these great movies. But when you really peeled back the layers of some of the stories that, you know, Pixar told at the time, and this is before they were owned by Disney, it was just a phenomenal place to work. It was one of those places where we were distributing for them. So we weren't involved in the creative process necessarily, but 
we got to see everything. Like we took trips up to Emeryville, saw the story artists and met a lot of the wonderful people who were creating stories. I met John Lasseter. And so that again, from an animation standpoint, I realized, okay, this is another love of mine because I realized it's not just for kids, there's multi-layered stories. And so we'd be sitting there watching the early, you know, production stills or the early versions of the films. And then the writers would be throwing in little jokes that, you know, the kids would laugh at, but of course there'd be these nuanced jokes that the adults and the parents could laugh at. So I just thought it was fantastic. And that's when I really understood, okay, in, as far as storytelling goes, there's so many layers. Yeah. So yeah, that was the biggest film I worked on at Disney and one of my favorites. And that began my love of animation for sure. I, I remember watching um, Toy Story with my kids when they were younger, when it first came out. And then I, I, I recently watched it again. I'm like, there's a lot of adult jokes in here <laughs> so. oh it's so funny the first movie I worked on with Pixar was Cars okay. and Cars was fantastic because again it was just a great story but the jokes were hilarious they were silly some of them but again as I got older yeah. it's like oh these are funny <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. so swept away to to 20th century 20th century Fox I had been sort of courting them for a couple of years you know it's funny that at Disney, there was a term called lifers and I thought I was going to be a lifer. You know, you, when you get there, it's just, yeah. I hate to sound corny, but it really is magical. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't even see yourself leaving again. This is, this was my experience, but 20th Century Fox and I had had a short courtship and they made me an offer I really couldn't refuse. <laughs> and so I left um, the, the safety of the Walt Disney Company to what I would call the Wild West of 20th Century Fox at the time. Yeah. And so worked on the Miramax, as far as Miramax account. Yes, Miramax um, and Pixar at yes. Disney and then yeah. went to work at 20th Century Fox. What projects did you work on for 20th Century Fox? So I was hired to work on the third party business. So that's sort of the stuff that we would distribute for other people. So MGM, Relativity. Um, and then I had the opportunity while I was there to take on the television business. Now you want to talk about someone who is already in love with film. Right. Then I got to work on the television business and that's just a volume business. At the time, Fox was pretty much producing everything. Um, you know, they we had 24, which was disruptive and right. interesting. Yes. And then there was the, you know, the legacy of Fox television animation that began, I believe it began with The Simpsons. And then they doubled down and then there was Family Guy and then, you know, FX as a cable network, they, you know, they created Archer. And so I got this really wonderful opportunity to not only work on live action feature films, but television live action and television animation where you want to talk about just getting that, if, if, if Disney was my sort of bachelors of entertainment and animation, Fox was definitely my master's because it was just volume. And the lovely thing about Fox, we were such a flat organization from a distribution standpoint, you know, you did everything. We got to work on marketing. We worked with showrunners. We worked with producers, whereas Disney was a little bit more hierarchical and wasn't as much access, if you will. Right. But at 20th Century Fox, it was you know, go and do this and make sure you monetize and meet the people and take care of their babies because we're a distribution organization. And again, that's where my marketing, you know, chops really grew because at the time we were just beginning to discover different ways of distribution, you know, beyond 
you know, beyond television, beyond theatrical. And I was there like with a front row seat to, you know, um, to the beginning of digital distribution. So that again, talk about bachelor's to the master's to the PhD of entertainment. Yeah, back in the day, as far as when you said windows, you meant maybe a two-story house, but now windows is like a skyscraper of windows. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, it, so. You know, I worked it. I worked at the tower business at a tower building at 20th Century Fox. And if anybody's a diehard fan, it's the building that was presented as Nakatomi Plaza. And so that has a you know tremendous windows. When I think of, you know, how windows became, I think of Nakatomi Plaza with all those windows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then you moved to NBC. Yeah. You know, so first... after so it's funny, I stayed at 20th Century Fox for 10 years and it was 10 wonderful years. Again, got to work on amazing projects, not only third-party distribution projects like, you know, Bond, but also television projects and work with some of the smartest, most creative people at FX and 20th uh, Television. And it was amazing. You know, we worked across network television, cable, et cetera. But it's funny, back, it was 2017 and the work started to slow down tremendously. And, you know, I was thinking to myself, wow, I'm not sure where I'm going to go next. You know, I'd signed on for another contract and again, it just got really slow. And so at the same time, I was being courted by NBC through an agency and they gave me the opportunity to really, you know, instead of being this major generalist that worked on everything all at once, which is kind of what you do. <laughs> at Everywhere, all at once. <laughs> there was an opportunity to really hone and focus on television and, and, and their network television. Okay. So I took an opportunity. And then of course, three months later, the Disney acquisition of Fox was announced. And so it was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense why the work changed, why it slowed down dramatically. So, you know, again, you talk about these full circles in life. You know, I applied, my first job applying in entertainment was Miramax. It comes full circle at Disney to work on the Miramax business. And then I leave Disney to go to 20th Century Fox. And of course, Disney acquires 20th Century Fox. <laughs> so at 20th Century Fox, knowing what you know now, would you, would have stayed to become a lifer for Disney, you think? In hindsight, I wish I would have, you know, I love my career. I've had a phenomenal career and I continue to have a great career. And on the one hand, leaving both Disney and Fox has allowed me to, you know, acquire a broader set of skills, you know, work with bigger producers, work with independent folks. You know, I worked on the Quibi business, you know, RIP Quibi, um, with Jeffrey Katzenberg <laughs> and, you know, Meg Whitman and all of the wonderful folks who had deals with Quibi. And that was just something that I thought was very innovative and interesting. But on the other side, you know, I look at what's happening with Disney now, how they've acquired, you know, Fox and Pixar and, you know, Lucasfilm. And the creative in me wishes I had kind of stuck around to be a part of all that. The uh, marketer in me wishes I had stuck around and, and been a part of the amazing marketing team that is, you know, Disney theatrical and Disney plus, but the adventurer in me yeah. is happy with how things have turned out. Like I said, I've had an opportunity to broaden my skills, work with people and just, especially, you know, when I look at different artists that I would never have had an opportunity to work with so, clo so closely had yeah. I stayed at a major studio. But then you moved to NBC universal and then you moved to start your own business what yes. at nbc universal does made you decide you know i'm ready to step out on my own 
Well, I was working through an agency that we were sort of the extension of the network brand marketing team. And unfortunately for us, um, this was right before Peacock was announced. NBC Universal was doing a lot of uh, consolidation. And so our agency had lost the business. And so I found myself unemployed for the first time in my entire career. And I had a series of meetings, you know, I met with almost everybody. And I thought to myself, you know, there's, there's nothing pulling me in one direction. And just almost as a, you know, after I left Quibi, after Quibi folded, you know, Quibi was sort of the gift that kept on giving, you know, people were scrolling through my LinkedIn and I was getting all these, you know, inquiries like, what are you doing next? You know, how is Quibi? would love to talk to you about how that was. How is Jeffrey? How is this? And so really had an opportunity to meet, you know, a lot of folks. And I said to myself, let me see if I can do this on my own. And I joined um, a lot of, start worked with a lot of startups over the last two and a half years. And I have to say, sometimes the grass isn't always greener, but, <laughs> but I've been so proud of the work I've done with a lot of startups, you know, helping them not only build marketing teams, but also figure out their distribution, figure out their go-to-market strategy. Um, part of me still longs for the, the um, uh, you know, the stability of the big studio system. But at the same time, I realized that that business is a legacy business. And even the big studios have evolved and shifted and have been disrupted. So, you know, had I stayed, who knows what would have happened? But I think the disruption was something that no one could have avoided and no one could have also predicted just how disrupted it was going to be marketing itself in the yes. industry and i wouldn't say film and i wouldn't say tv just media as a as a whole industry because it's all about the content now because yeah. the, in the user experience honestly it's the user experience of the content should i say from that what have you had to pivot on and grow in us in any new strength as a marketer in our industry well i think you know years ago marketing was monetize the asset figure out how you can get the most eyeballs on it in a certain time and that was it and then as people as audiences you know become more fragmented and have so many more options for viewership for distribution and so many ways to consume what you know before it used to be a very living room centric experience now you can it's very mobile or it's very stream based it's on demand and so i think as a marketer you still have to hone your skills in terms of where people are consuming their media so that they can find your message but you know if, if anyone said content was king then the audience is queen and so it's really about finding that audience and i think it's funny years ago when we started the social social um, media marketing, I said to the head of our social team, who was a little discouraged with the business and discouraged with her role, and I said, I have a feeling yours is going to become the most important job soon. So just hang in there. And sure enough, fast forward 10 years and you know, everybody worth their salt needs to make sure that social is an amazing and important part of your marketing plan, because that's where you get build the audience connection, yeah. whether it's television, animation, feature film, you have to find an audience. Sometimes you can find them and cast a big net, like buy a Super Bowl ad. And you, you're pretty much going to hit anybody that will watch your, watch your, um, your ad that might be in your audience. But then from some of the independent folks, you have to really find where that audience is. And sometimes they're not in one place. Most of the time, they're not in one place. Right. And then on top of that, the analytic side of marketing, as far as uh, as far as interpreting that data has been so um, key um, to try to find your, 
your audience. Yes. Well, and also to understand what's going to happen if you lose distribution on a certain platform. So, you know, there's a comedy that I worked on at um, at 20th Century Fox that was on a major platform and we weren't going to renew the rights. And so at Fox, we were saying, oh, you know, this is huge for us. We're going to go ahead and, you know, own the audience and we're going to bring this back. Not realizing that the platform partner had more data than we did and data wins. And so at the end of the day, even though it was a big blow to that partner, they had so much data on what the audience for our IP was watching. All they did was serve them up another, you know, another person's or their own original content. And so that's where you realize as a marketer, data is also something that is extremely, extremely important because it tells you where your audience might go. It tells you where your audience is, you know, getting information. It, it gives you a little information about their algorithm. And, and for the most part, you can pretty much say, okay, if I lose the rights to this particular IP or this series or this film, I know that, you know, Sonia, she likes romantic comedies and she really watched every single strong black lead, you know, in a particular platform. So we're going to serve her up a comedy or some content that speaks to her and they can get pretty darn close. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy how the 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 data mining of our times is is can really predict what you will and will not watch. Absolutely, so, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's funny, you know. We I think we all have a a Netflix account, and I see some of the things that will say my recommendations, and it'll say ninety eight percent recommended. And like I said, for the most part pretty close. Now I have a two-year-old, you know, granddaughter. Oh, I hate saying that. Uh, <laughs> and so we watch a lot of preschool programming. So now my recommendations are all over the place. <laughs> I get a little coca melon with my, you know, <laughs> my squid game. So. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Even though people say, you know, people are leaving Netflix. I think still a lot of people still have Netflix. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. It's a sunk cost. And at yeah. the end of the day, it's more than you know, it's more than a platform. It's right. it's the platform that taught us how to binge. And so yeah. at the end of the day, you know, yeah. whether you call it Netflix or what insert whatever platform here, the behavior is now learned and it's ingrained. So, all right. So does your new entity have a name? Is it, Are you in a consulting company? What's the name of your consulting company? <laughs> It's just me, Rio Cyrus Consulting. And um, again, so far, so good. And it's funny, when I went out on my own, I thought about the different names. You know, again, I'm a movie nerd and I'm a content nerd. So I thought about all these names. But at the end of the day, the thing that I've invested in the most is myself. And so I do have a lot of relationships in the industry. And so I figured the brand that I've worked the hardest on without even realizing it is me. So I figured, you know, the name Rio Cyrus, and, and that's the advice I give some of, some of my clients who are looking for specific names. They're like, I want a name to speak to this and this. And I'll look at them and say, but you are the person that people are coming to your company for. And so if you can't name it after yourself, name it some name it after something that is about you because clearly people are coming to your show your company your um you know your platform for a certain reason and you have to just right. dig right in so it's it's just me <laughs> would you say you gravitate more to movies tv animation sci-fi 
where where does Rio like to just soak her feet into? I would just say yes to all of it. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the mood. You know, there's one genre that I don't love. You know, I'm not a rom-com, you know, lady, <laughs> but it's funny. I'll find myself in front of certain rom-coms or if I have to go with a friend and I'll enjoy it. Like I, like I said, I enjoyed the experience period. If I had to pick one, like, you know, the bloodier and the more violent, the, the better, the darker, the more psychologically thrilling, the better. Like I, I like think pieces like that, but again, I can enjoy pretty much everything. Um, I'm, I'm so with you, um, you know, younger 80 rom-coms. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the early 90 rom-coms. Yeah. But, um, I, I realize if it doesn't have some type of action in, in the rom-com, I'm, I'm really not, <laughs> I'm not in it. So yeah. Um, but yeah, um, uh, I like my, I like a little bit of action with my rom-com if I'm going to watch a rom-com. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm more action oriented which is I know it's odd for a female to be more action oriented. no so, yeah. definitely not I mean I think that that's where you know again as marketers it's probably my fault or part of the fault that we have steered women towards the rom-com and men towards the yeah again that's sort of an older way of thinking and so I'm just going to just plug there for you know the those the you know the, the women that love motorcycles and guns and stuff it's like I think you just have to sort of peel the layers back before we had all this data we probably would still be marketing rom-coms just to women and just around valentine's day and you know um and the action just to the men but I think we've realized that depending on people's need states and their emotions you know you can sell a, a rom-com you know at any time of the year you can sell an action you can sell a Christmas movie at any time of the year depending on the story and the way in for for your audience so then how coming back to afro animation yes how did you then get involved with afro animation our co-founder Keith White he he's like the Pied Piper, you know, it's funny. He just, he will reach out to people and people just follow him. And so I was one of those people he reached out to right after Quibi, you know, I'd posted, you know, the last, uh, you know, media article about Quibi shut down. And he was one of the people who reached out and said, Hey, you know, my name's Keith White. What's next for you? And I said, I'm not sure, but who are you? <laughs> and so we got to talking and, you know, he's this, you know, media distribution veteran who was actually working on a short form distribution vehicle similar to Quibi. And he said, I'd love, you know, just to see if you sit on the board or just come work with me. I have no money. I'm a startup, but would love to talk to you. And so I had some time on my hands and I said, sure, I'll talk to you. So we started creating um, a, a specific distribution vehicle for short form entertainment to compete with like your TikToks and you know, et cetera. And we were trying to find the point of difference, differentiation. And as we were going out to creators, we were bombarded with an, by animators. We were, they were saying, you know, love what you're doing, would love to see if there's a distribution vehicle in addition to some of the ad supported stuff I've already got my content on, but would love to just see if there's somewhere we can work together. And it was just animator after animator, illustrator, and not just independent folks, folks who were seasoned, folks who had already, you know, worked for some of the top studios, they were like, well, now I want to do my own project, but I don't want to go through typical distribution. And so at that point we said, listen, we're getting so much buzz and so much, you know, you know, uh, conversation around animation and we're getting it from all over the place. We're getting it from creatives. We're getting it from executives. Why don't we try to do 
like a little summit. And so it was during COVID, I think it was, we were 2021 was the first year. And we said, yeah, let's try and do it. So this was January or February. And we, and I said, you know, well, okay, let's try and do it later in the year. And then Keith was like, I think April's good. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so we reached out to pretty much everybody who he had con made contact with and said, you know, if we did a summit, would you join? And, you know, would you speak to us, you know, if you're from a studio and 99% of the folks said, absolutely. You know, there are some smaller summits that we've been a part of, smaller folks online that we, you know, but we want more. Like we're looking not only for a community, but we're looking to, you know, just expand what we're, what we're trying to do. At the same time, we were getting a ton of inquiries from Africa, from Europe, from Brazil, and they all had sort of the same mission. They were like, well, we're over here in whatever country and we would love access to our North American counterparts because our animation industry is fledgling or, you know, we would love to just see if we could expand some things for our creatives. So what we did is, you know, Afro animation was born. We talked to a lot of folks and we really, you know, made contact with not only studio executives, but the folks that were in Africa, that were in Europe. Um, and again, the, 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 the outcry was the same. We'd love to just meet you know, some of our North American counterparts. So we ended up, you know, producing this two-day summit and, you know, we, we ended up getting a lot of phenomenal speakers, not only from different studios, but independent folks who had worked on award-winning animations that they were like, we're not sure what we're going to do next. And so year one was about making the connection and it was phenomenal. And we probably had about 2000 people join us year two. And, and, and at that point I was like, oh, great. I'm glad we did that. Thinking <laughs> one and done. And so of course Keith is like, all right, what should we do for year two? I was like, oh, you want to keep doing this? Okay. And so last year was the first year we said, okay, let's try to make it bigger and let's try to offer more to people. We still want to keep it free, but there were some real costs that we born our, we had borne ourselves as, yeah. as a startup. And so last year we went out to every single studio and animation studio and, you know, basically said, Hey, would you partner with us? If not for financial sponsorship, then would you partner with us to, you know, help us fill the panels and almost every single studio joined us. And it was such a blessing. And not only did they join and sponsor and put their money where their mouth was in terms of trying to increase diversity and inclusion within the their their own studio in the animation industry but they came like they like I said they they gave us access to talent you know we had directors of major animation motion pictures you know I forget the young man's name but we had a director who was housed at Warner Brothers last year we had some folks independently who their day job was at Netflix animation um, we had, you know, Disney was an early partner. And so they came back with not only television animation, but last year, what I call the five families, <laughs> the, the studios, they came in. And so we had representatives from Industrial Light Magic, you know, Lucasfilm, Disney Feature Animation, Pixar. And it was just phenomenal because I'm thinking back to my experience when I was younger, thinking that the entertainment business was just so out of reach. And now all of a sudden we've got about 60 panelists all from different studios, independent or majors, 
seeking to not only expand what they want to do within, you know, animation and employing more people of color and more diversity, but they were giving us access. And so I was super proud. And, and the feedback we got both years virtually was I could never have expected to, you know, not only have access to these people, but have a conversation. Like everybody gave of their time. You know, they were doing one-on-ones, they were doing portfolio reviews virtually. And I'm proud to say that we, one of our missions was to expand the opportunities for working animators and folks in the animation industry. And I'm super proud to say that we actually um, were able to, you know, get a few people hired. And I, I don't have the number, but it was more than a few. And even now throughout the year, even though we're an annual conference, um, throughout the year, we've gotten, you know, inquiries from studios saying, hey, I'm looking for a storyboard artist, you know, and we'd love them to, you know, be in a diverse group. So we'd love to see what your list looks like as we're, you know, you know, casting a wide net. And so the communication with the studios has been just an added bonus that they have almost given us that credibility. So it's been phenomenal. Your journey has been 360 um, like the Olympics, kind yeah. of in <laughs> circles of yeah. 360 journeys. So yeah. um, that's interesting because now you thinking certain things weren't attainable in LA. Now you're you're making opportunities for stuff to be attainable for others. Absolutely, yeah. and it's truly and it's truly global. You know, we've had folks from Africa who said, you know, not specifically through an Afro animation, but they were able to not only get contacts, but, you know, get exposure. And so they were able to meet folks from DreamWorks Animation, Sony Pictures Animation, Disney Feature Animation, Television Animation, and they were able to have conversations. And the lovely thing is now, again, for this year, most of the studios are back and they're bringing their A games, like they're bringing talent from, you know, Africa, they're bringing talent from, you know, uh, from Burbank, from New York, from folks that have had a truly global opportunity. And again, they're peeling back the layer so that that person that thinks that, you know, entertainment or animation is so unattainable, they're saying, no, here we are. We are this studio that you're used to seeing, you know, mega blockbusters from, and we want to hire you, or here's a way in, here's the path to getting a career at this major studio. If you're not an artist, I am not, um, you know, here's another way in. And so again, if somebody told me, you don't have to be a screenwriter, you don't have to be a casting director, et cetera. Early on, I think I would have probably, you know, right out of, you know, high school or college, you know, jumped right into the film industry or the entertainment industry. And so the fact that we can share that with high school students, with, you know, college students, people at the very beginning of their career trying to make certain decisions and give them a pathway, it's just something that, again, has come super full circle for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting you said that, especially over in the continent of Africa. My experience, some of the international films that are being, you know, sponsored for different awards are are animation films from different countries, which I thought was very interesting this year. Um, that uh, animation is coming from different parts of that continent which i think is i think it speaks volumes to some of the the growth and the potential if people invest in that area so so yeah absolutely and that's what we saw you know a lot of the folks from africa and europe were saying you know we're artists but we can't afford you know x amount of dollars to go to film school or to go to 
art and design school. And so to be able to find resources through Afro Animation or through some of the partners that you have, whether it's Latinx, Women in Animation or Rise Up Animation, who, again, they provide resources to folks, you know, has been phenomenal. And even when we've had the dean of, you know, one of the top animation schools in South Africa, he joined us in year one. And he said the same thing, you know, they are trying to open up branches in different parts of Africa. And depending on funding or, you know, access, again, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic, and they're still, you know, trying to make sure that they, you know, they, they provide access to the students. They're saying that, you know, there's just not as much as an investment. And so I think, through partnerships and through exposure, to, you know, like with some, and we're not the only animation summit virtually or even in person, but I think through a lot of the work that we're doing with animation around the world, like people are getting, you know, they're, they're getting that access and they're, and they're getting the exposure and they're super, you know, excited about the investment that's coming, not only in the African continent, but we had folks from the Caribbean who were like, you know, we're out here by ourselves, <laughs> you know, just trying to make something happen. And I think it's just phenomenal to give, you know, a lot of those younger students a different path and folks that may not realize, oh, I can actually make money from my doodles or, you know, from my love of, you know, drawing or storyboarding or what have you. So. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Is there a long-term plan for Afro animation? Because, you know, the first three years is kind of proof of concept, you know, yeah. for startup and off that. This is year three. Is there now saying, okay, this is viable. We're trying to stage a long-term plan for the growth of this summit. Yeah, it's in, in a way it's year one for us because it's okay. the first time we're doing it in real life. And so it's truly, you know, I feel like year one and two is truly yeah. a proof of concept virtually. We grew from 2,000 attendees to 5,000 attendees. And I believe that's one of the largest, you know, um, uh, attendees for a virtual conference it, of like this. Yeah. So this year we're in the Burbank Marriott, we're, which I, I know hosts a lot of entertainment summits and seminars. And again, we're seeing if we can do this in real life. And the lovely thing is the support we've gotten from our studio partners has been unwavering. So I think long-term, it's really just establishing what not only what we can do and what we can be as an organization, but seeing what happens in between April 26th and 27th, 20, you know, 2023 and you know, year four. Right. And so we have this community. And again, throughout the year, we've been really surprised and delighted that studios have come to us and said, we're looking for, you know, certain folks and, you know, can you help us? We're just, or we're just looking to cast a wide net. And so now that we're working with a lot more creatives and a lot more, you know, studio creatives, it'd be lovely, you know, if we could grow to a point where we can debut or premiere, you know, a major uh, piece of content. It would be great if all of a sudden Afro animation became sort of the industry standard or the industry go-to for, you know, creatives of color or diverse creatives. And, you know, that's women in animation, that's Latinos in, 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 in animation, that's everything, Africans, Europeans, anybody with a diverse story, the LGBTQ, you know, stories. Again, with, under the umbrella of diversity, we want to just make sure that we are, you know, just in just offering opportunities to everybody. We're almost out of time. So okay. I want I want to get I want to ask you a couple of key questions towards you. Yeah. Um, because you've been giving go to nuggets here and there. 
Excellent sound bites, Rio. Excellent sound. <laughs> but someone in the industry, straight yeah. out of college, maybe straight out of high school, who just knows they want to do this. Do you recommend your path? Going to school, going to graduate school, go to college, go to graduate school, um, and hone your craft. If if not, then what? I think there's a path for someone like me who needs or wants the stability, craves the stability of an institution. The lovely thing about what's happening now, there's YouTube University, there's resources all over the place that if you can't afford a 40, 50, 60, sometimes $100,000 degree, even an art school degree, you know, can be upwards of, you know, 30, 40, $50,000. There's so many resources. So I think right now, if you are a person, a young person, high school, college that knows they want to be in this industry, I would say figure out or try to figure out what part, like, are you an illustrator? Are you someone whose talents are more towards the analytical and start going to conferences like Afro Animation or some of the other sister conferences that we have where you can find resources, you can talk to like-minded people. The lovely thing is, you know, most of the studios that are joining us this year, including DreamWorks Animation, Netflix, you know, Disney, they want, you know, Sony, Warner, they want to talk to high school students. They want to talk to college students about the pathway there. So I think now that there is the internet, <laughs> sounds so old, <laughs> but now that there is, you know, a major platform where you can go and find information online, I think it's now just going directly to a lot of the major studios who, you know, again, they are looking to give resources and to provide a pathway to a lot of folks. Whereas, you know, when I was, you know, a pup in the industry, it wasn't as accessible. Like, you know, we did, we weren't able to just log on and submit. It was calling, it was mailing your resume in, it was stopping, stopping off at the studio and dropping it off and hoping, you know, you could get a, a meeting. Now, there's LinkedIn, there's all sorts of things. And I, I get tons of requests all the time. And sometimes people will say, hey, can I just have a few minutes of your time? And we do exactly this. I'll do Zoom meetings and just give them, you know, a few nuggets and a few folks, I'm so pleased to say, have followed some advice. Some of them are, you know, assistants or entry-level positions at studios and they're on their way. There's some folks who I've mentored who are actually like development executives now. And I'm kind of like, hire me, you know? <laughs> But, um, but no, I would say that there's a lot more, just like with entertainment, you can have it on demand. It's more direct. There's a lot of stuff you can get on demand now, and you can go directly to find out what you can do. The other thing is you can do it yourself. A lot of the folks we've met are independent artists who have, you know, taken a course in animation or taken a course in editing, and they're creating their own IP on their own. And they're finding distribution, whether it's through YouTube, just to get a proof of concept or through their social network. And so they're having a lot of success um, doing just that. Question, second question, women, especially women of color yeah. in animation, what advice would you give them? Are the doors opening up? Are they just a crack? What is the pipeline? I know, I know industries and people say, you know, bring us people, but there are a lot of people out there, especially women of color. It Are the doors opening up for women of color in animation? The short answer is I don't know. Okay. You know, I have, my, I have my own experience. And my experience, the observation I have is it's not so much that the doors are open or closed. It's, you know, 
is there an opportunity to get your IP out there? And I'd say that whether you're a woman, man, you know, you know, however you identify, you know, with the exception of maybe the dominant culture, there is always the same advice. Figure out what you want to do, make your short list, your medium list, your long list of people that you're going to just keep going after. Again, LinkedIn has been, you know, a phenomenal resource for a lot of people. Same with just, you know, Instagram or just any social network where if I see, you know, Sonia Dunn, I might, you know, you know, DM her and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. And again, nine times out of 10, maybe you get a nothing, but the one time that someone says, sure, I'll take a quick meeting. And even in my own career, I'm a pretty senior level executive, but in the last couple of years where I've been trying to figure out, you know, what I want to be when I grow up, you know, I've reached out to people and said, would you take a meeting? And nine times out of 10, they'll take a meeting. And it's, and I, and I would say, when you get that meeting, know exactly what you're asking for. You know, I wouldn't come in and say, I'm looking for a job, but I would say, you know, here's what I can do. And here's what I'd like to do. And here are the stories I can tell. And here's why I think it's important. And it's really important to really be able to sell that and not just say, well, there needs to be more women of color. There needs to be, I think people's eyes start to glaze over a little bit when you, you know, really go in just with your diversity cape on and saying, I'm part of this particular you know, group hire me because, you know, you have a deficit. I think it's leading with the content and the story and saying, there's an audience for this. And here's how I know. And I see that you have a deficit in these types of stories and I would love a shot. And sometimes it'll be thanks, you know, but no thanks. And sometimes it'll be, well, let's see what you've got. And I know a lot of women of color, not a ton, but a few who have taken that approach and gotten in. And now they're working or they're, you know, at least, you know, fractionally working or they're on different projects. And so I think it's really about investing in the knowledge of what you can do that's different, because at the end of the day, it's still about monetizing. And again, there's a lot, lots of ways to do it yourself now. I think, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I would have picked my path and potentially not only been so comfortable you know, with the stability of a studio a position, but I probably would have done that dual path and started, you know, doing my own thing as well. And so I really respect the folks who are just saying, you know, I'm going to just try it. I'm just going all that can happen is I fail and that's okay. So if you could pick a TV series <laughs> that kind of or a character on a, a TV series, let's do that. A character on any type of TV series or film that kind of sums up um, your journey. Who who would that be? Is there anyone that sticks out to you at all? Yeah, you know, I, I identify with a lot of folks, you know, I identify <laughs> with a lot of characters, mostly bad actors. I don't mean <laughs> the talent, but the bad actors, the bad characters. You know, I love John Wick. And as I'm watching every John Wick movie, I'm like, ah. Oh, it's amazing. I wish I could do that. But I would say reality, you know, in, in reality, you know, probably the character that Issa Rae played on Insecure, you know, that journey from, you know, I, I don't, I don't think she calls herself awkward black girl, you know, from that particular series, but just trying to navigate the world and trying to stay true to who you are. And, you know, growing up in a place where you are surrounded by the dominant culture, but you're trying to be true to who you are, but you also want to make sure that you bet on yourself and have opportunities. It's really, 
it's really just a crazy dance. You know, at the one hand, you know, I want to be proud black woman at the same time, if I'm walking into certain executives offices, you know, they don't care. <laughs> and, and it's not, a, it's not a, an insult or it's not a criticism. Yeah. It's just their reality. And so I love the journey of that character just personally and professionally, how, you know, she did fail and there were some hilarious failures, but she got back up and she looked around and, you know, and, and I think that character really um, took a look around and said, okay, these are the things that, you know, are, are holding me back and I'm going to try to overcome them. Meanwhile, trying to balance, you know, having a boyfriend or, <laughs> you know, having a, you know, a day job. So I think that's probably the one that I can most identify with just as a, a female of color. Yeah. And then a Disney character, whether it's animation or movie or, or um, series, whether it's the Star Wars, the Marvel worlds, mm -hmm. the Star Wars worlds, the, Pixar worlds, is there any characters like, um, or even it, it, not even identified, just favorite and why you like? Oh, geez. Um, and I knew this question was coming and there's just so many of them. So I would have to say, if I look at what is under the entire Walt Disney umbrella, I yeah. look at some of the ABC programming and also now the FX programming. So I would like to say that I, I think I identify with some of the animated characters of Archer. <laughs> you know, they're funny and they're sexy and they're, you know, having these amazingly politically incorrect journeys. And I'd like to think that some of my life has been that and it's been hilarious. And, you know, again, that's a whole other you know, interview to talk about some of the most <laughs> inappropriate, you know, experiences I've had that have really propelled me forward and given me a nice little uh, community of, of, of um, executive, you know, colleagues. So I would say that on the animation side and then on the live action side, you know, just the characters of Blackish, you know, that's my life. You know, I live in Studio City, <laughs> California. I have, you know, an African-American son who goes to a predominantly white high school and I'm, you know, trying to give him his privilege and give him his wings while still teaching him about black history and, you know, trying to be the cool mom, but the mom that, you know, wants a certain sort of militancy in his, and, and you know, he's about a kale smoothie. Don't care where you come from. Exactly. So. But, you know, there are fools and there's educated fools is what my mom used to say. But. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it's, it's funny you know having a child in Los Angeles like he's about a kale smoothie and his Nikes and that's it you know and it's and his cousins in New York and Brooklyn are kind of like what's kale so <laughs> so there is that you know dichotomy of really just trying to you know launch some good humans and and you know just enjoy the stories that I'm in yeah yeah one more question and then I'll yeah, let you go um how do you define success and do you think you've already achieved it for yourself that's a loaded, loaded question. So I'd say just the way I've defined success has been my entire path. I've had a phenomenal career. Like I couldn't have asked for a better career. And it's funny, again, it hasn't been smooth all the time. You know, I'm, you know, I'm writing a book. It's called, I think I got fired today, but I'm not sure. <laughs> and I that's, love the title. I love and, and that's kind of been my experience, you know, throughout most of my career, especially as I got a little older and the rooms were more male, you know, more white male, more older white male. And, you know, it's funny, you, you, you hear the language and you, you know, you're in these meetings and you kind of have a seat at the table, but you really don't. And sometimes you think, 
wow, did I, did he just really say that? Or <laughs> am I going to, you know, you have that little movie that plays in your head where you're like, did I just burn down this conference room <laughs> with everybody in it? Um, but again, it's been a phenomenal career. And the way I've defined success is, you know, everything I've been able to achieve. I've been able to broaden my skill set. I've been able to work internationally. I've been able to work on film, television, short form. You know, I've been able to really move within the industry. And so that has been phenomenal. And I would say that currently, I would say the way I, do, I would like to define success going forward is figuring out what I'm going to do with the book, with the IP that's in me, with the stories that are within me, whether it's partnering with a development executive or a company or launching my own. Um, you know, at the heart of it, I'm still a, you know, marketing and an analytical person, but there's that small creative part of me that says you should write this story or you should make this movie. So I'd like to think that there's another chapter coming. And uh, so TBD on that. But the way I define success is just even all of the bumps, the bruises, the tears, the you know, the F-bombs that, you know, followed the meeting. <laughs> the, can you believe? And then the next day, someone saying, oh my gosh, we made X amount of dollars because of the plan that you led. I was like, oh, awesome. All right. So then I got to ask you, I'm playing devil, devil's advocate here. If if someone, let's just say DreamWorks Animation says, hey, we want you to be chief marketing officer. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in look at the end of the day I love all of it you know again I've been a studio gal for the majority of my career and again it comes with a lot of ups and downs and oh my gosh are we going to make the number are there layoffs you know am I going to be employed next year is there a merger coming but it's all been part of the the education of Rio Cyrus, the education of this executive. So I feel like, you know, when I'm in meetings, I can talk about the early days of, you know, selling DVDs to Blockbuster, the rental business, you know, the red box business, you know, and, and some of the younger folks are like, Blockbuster? <laughs> um, or I can reference, exactly, or I can reference certain movies, you know, if I'm working with a client to package a film and I can say, oh, this is kind of like this movie meets that movie. And some of the older folks are like spot on, like a, amazing way to position it. And then some of the younger folks are like, I What's wasn't even born, right? They're like, I wasn't even <laughs> born when that movie came out. I was like, I don't think I can hang with you anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, I feel old every day. I just appreciate the opportunity to not only share my story, but um, but also you have a platform that you're using to in, do investigation and and see and provide different paths and 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 investigate and agitate and you know and and ask the questions. So you know, I'm a real lover of folks who provide information to folks and use their platform in a way that you're using it. So I so appreciate it. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sonya Dunn Show. I hope you enjoyed our guests marketing executive Rio Cyrus. If you would like to learn more about Rio Cyrus, visit her at animation.com. Until next time, may the roads that you must journey bring you to a place of harmony. To learn more about us and our available podcasts, visit us at sonydunn.com.